This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafuma. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Just got off of a call with National Security Council officials who said, quote, after months of being wrongfully detained under intolerable circumstances, Brittany Griner is on her way home to her wife, Sherelle, and her family. We can confirm that Brittany is in good health and that she's being offered a wide range of support options following her time wrongfully detained. These NSC officials also said to the media, the Russians made clear that the only route to securing Brittany's return was the release of a Russian national, Victor Boot. Boot has been in U.S. detention for over 12 years. He was convicted in 2011. He's been serving his sentence and he was scheduled for release anyway in about seven years, 2029. Brittany was moved from the penal colony where she was being held in Moscow. And this morning she was brought to the United Arab Emirates where she was met by U.S. officials. A member of the media on this call asked, how is it acceptable to trade a woman who is wrongfully detained for a criminal who is so notorious he was nicknamed the Merchant of Death? National Security Council officials replied that she was sentenced to nine years in a Russian penal colony in horrific circumstances that she did not deserve. We regard that as unacceptable. And from there, we work to make it not so to bring Americans home, we try to, of course, pay as little a price as possible. But ultimately, we feel there's a moral obligation as well as a policy obligation to bring people who are being held hostage or wrongfully detained home. Another member of the media also asked uh, whether or not Brittany Griner may have experienced any type of racism while she was in prison. And the NSC officials replied, that they'll be learning more about her experience and when she's comfortable sharing what happened to her, they are eager to learn. These NSC officials also express their appreciation for those of us and those of you outside the government who urged the U.S. government to resolve Brittany's case. Once again, Brittany Griner is free, just in time for Christmas and Kwanzaa. Just removed from the Georgia runoff, where I spent a few days uh, over the past week in Georgia, uh, working with Black Voters Matter to get out the vote. Want to hear our dear friends take on what has happened? The Democrats get that ex pick up that extra seat in the Senate. Much needed. Marcos, of course, founder of Daily Coast, the largest online progressive community, host of The Brief, and the founder of Civics with the Q. Hey, buddy, how are you? Really good news out of Georgia. I'm still tired, though. Yeah, you're wearing you're wearing uh, a hoodie, and I'm wearing <laughs> a uh, workout shirt. I think I think we've earned the right today to finally sort of relax and say, okay. Whew. Woo. We did it. We just and I, I'm gonna, I wanna, uh, just a bit of history that that okay. we collectively as a movement accomplished um, this cycle, which again officially ended yesterday night or uh, Tuesday night. 
So this is the first time, the first midterm election since 1962. So what's that? 60 years that the Democrats netted Senate seats while holding the White House. So the first time in 60 years that the Democrats gained seats in the Senate while holding the White House. It's the first midterm since uh -huh. 1934, 90, 88 yeah. years that the White House party netted Senate seats and governorships. First time in 88 wow. years that any party gained seats in the Senate and governorships while holding the White House. And it's the first midterm since 1934, same thing, 88 years that the White House did not lose a single Senate seat. We held all our seats, including some in difficult terrain. So I think we have a lot to be proud of because history, a lot of that narrative that we complained about, this red wave, red tsunami narrative that we complained about uh, this entire year, it was rooted in that kind of history. Now, Mark, we talked at length how the data did not support the narrative. But history is, is it's a powerful force. And so there was some logic to people thinking, no, nah, no, nah, this is going to be a typical midterm election. Democrats are going to lose big. And in fact, we just, we just, you know, right there, 60 and 88 years, we, we, Democrats accomplished something that hadn't been seen since 19, you know, in 60 years and in 88 years. And now it's because we did not listen to the narrative. We did not uh, become. We did not let ourselves become disenfranchised. We fought. We did what we needed to do. And Mark, you know, you know, people that read Daily Coast, people that listen to your show, these are the people that are doing the work. And so I think it's really important for us to be really proud of what we accomplished. And you know, we get a moment to to rest and recover because this fight's going to go on. And I'm going to tell you right now, Mark, I'm going to lead off the show by saying in April, we have a Supreme Court seat up in Wisconsin that's going to determine who holds the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And we know, we know that 2024 rolls around. Republicans are going to be trying to send stuff up to that Supreme Court to try to overturn any laws. So it is absolutely imperative. We are just as engaged in April in Wisconsin as we were this year. So, But we get a, we get a little bit of time here. To, to celebrate, to relax, and to really sort of fast in this incredible historic achievement. And Mark, I was so thrilled to see you. I saw you on Twitter um, out there in, in Georgia doing your part. And uh, it's, it's, you know, democracy is, is great, and especially so when, when, when we win. <laughs> so it was yeah. hard fought. Feels good, though. Yeah, it, uh, it does feel great. It, it was exhilarating, as I said, exhausted now. Uh, but it was an, an exhilarating experience and to engage people. Uh, you know, it, this runoff system, though, this was the fifth time voters in Georgia had, in the past two years, have had to vote for um, Raphael Warnock. Five times. And it, it's hard to argue with people like, why do we have to keep doing this? Uh, nevertheless, Georgia really stood up. And, and came six out. Years and, now. <laughs> is that six we're years? We're not at six years. We're you know, you, you have no idea how much that was discussed just in passing, talking to voters last <laughs> night. You're like, are we good now? Is it true? Does he really have six years? People were asking that, dude, does he really have six years? And then, you know, we, we, we began to question because we wanted to be sure. So, well, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, it's a full <laughs> six years. Like, are you sure? 
we don't have to do this again. And, you know, we just, you know, we just were insecure about it. But no, he's 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 got uh, the full six years. And then Ossoff doesn't come up until four years, uh, another four years. Yeah. So, 26. so, yeah. So, so Georgia gets a little bit of Georgia's been busy. We've been wearing Georgia out uh, in terms of getting people out and getting people uh, back to the polls. The numbers Tuesday night percentage-wise in the counties, we're not that far off of what happened in November, which further makes the case that this runoff system is, is, is stupid. Uh, it needs to be done away with, uh, as you alluded to earlier off mic. It, it, its original purpose um, had a very different agenda. But now that it's obsolete, you know, it, 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 and, and as a matter of fact, it is, you're not, you're not winning runoffs, uh, Republicans, Trump voters, Trump supporters, the runoff system isn't working for you. So, so they may decide to go ahead and get rid of it. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the whole intent of it was to keep black people from winning. And so you, if you had a, a crowded field and a black candidate got through with 45% of the vote, then this was the way that Georgia guaranteed. So it was very racist, explicitly racist intent was to keep um, black people from winning. And it worked. And it worked on a partisanship basis because Democrats are less likely to turn out. Historically, have been less likely to turn out than Republicans. So I, we talk about this all the time. So it made sense for them to, to um, as a partisan and as a racist tool, it worked for Republicans until 2020 because John Ossoff actually lost the first round. So had there not been a runoff election, right off the bat, they would have had control of the Senate the last two years. Mitch McConnell would have been Senate Majority Leader. And then Warnock, who did win the first round, and again, the system was designed to keep people like him from winning a runoff, didn't work because Democrats turned out. So now um, the, it cost them, this runoff system cost them the uh, control of the Senate, and it didn't keep a black man from becoming senator. So Republicans have been, and even yesterday during... Um, during the day, before the votes were counted, we had a bunch of Republican top-level people, Secretary of State, and, and um, I believe it, maybe it was the Attorney General, but a couple statewide elected Democrats were saying, like, this is dumb. Why are we wasting all this money? Uh, it does not serve democracy. One of the arguments was, Mark, what you just said, was that the voting patterns were pretty similar. So it wasn't even, it was just sort of a carbon copy. And um, there were some shifts in those voting patterns that are kind of fascinating, but um, it's such as um, there was significant Republican drop off in some of the ex-urban ex um, counties. So the, the ring counties around, around, um, around Atlanta. And, and that's because these are people who were more college educated Republicans. They were OK voting for Brian Kemp, who had distanced himself from Trump and obviously Trump loads Brian Kemp, but they weren't going to vote. They weren't going to turn out and vote for, um, for Herschel Walker, who was a disgrace. And even, even this was the best Democratic turnout since 1980, I believe, in Georgia. So again, you know, we're going to talk about history. We're talking about over 40 years. The, um, 
but still, it's embarrassing that he only won by 100,000 votes. And it's great that he won by 100,000 votes. It's great that Georgia is now solidly a purple state. It's embarrassing that somebody as unqualified as Herschel Walker was got any votes. And this is, this is the Republican Party's challenge because they're, they're gifting us seats that they may otherwise have won with a competent candidate. That's fascinating. So they would have had a majority if not for the runoff with also they shot themselves in the foot. In 2020. Yes. 2020. Wow. Yeah. But, Cause uh, and, it was, it was Purdue, I believe was the, um, was the incumbent right. or was the, and he actually won the first round against also. But that too is, um, I mean, it kind of speaks to, um, Again, <laughs> we have a black man in the Senate, but I don't think that law intended for a Jewish man to represent Georgia either. No, hell no. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> this is the South, of course. I mean, this is, thankfully, it's the new South. It's, it's evolving. It's changing. And Georgia, hopefully, it's a vanguard for a, a much wider transformation across the South. We've talked about how Mississippi should not be as as red as it is demographically. Right. And North Carolina has just been hovering in that like plus three Republican range. And, and we're kind of stuck there. And I, I would love to see the kind of investment in North Carolina that we saw in Georgia by by uh, Stacey Abramson and her crew. Uh, it's right for for purple status. I don't think these are ever going to be not for a long shot. They're not going to be blue states. We don't need them to be blue states. We need them to be competitive. Because when you look at the Senate map right now, there are very few states. I think there's only, in fact, I know there's five states left with split delegations. That means one senator Republican, one senator Democrat. And there's only five states that have senators that, uh, of the opposing party of how the state voted for president. So we, we are now at a point where the Senate looks like the presidential vote. And that is problematic for Democrats because a lot of this, we obviously know that the Senate is not a democratic institution in states like North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, uh, Wyoming, Idaho have smaller populations in Metro Los Angeles combined. And yet, you know, that's 10 senators compared to California's too. So, this is this is problematic. So we need to find states that we can start we can start pushing towards blue you know, to make them winnable. And North Carolina is actually the the lowest hanging fruit there. But a lot of our a lot of states that were close are trending away from us. States like Iowa and Ohio are trending. They're too white, too rural. They're trending away from us. Uh, Michigan seems to be bouncing back in our direction. Hopefully, it stays that way. Wisconsin is fifty fifty. Florida's trending away from us. We were making progress in Texas that has seen that we took a step back in Texas this year. So it's we got some long term structural challenges that we need to deal with. So it's absolute the fact that Arizona and Georgia flipped to purple status from being solidly Republican states has been a godsend because without those four Democratic senators, including Kirsten Cinema, which hopefully will upgrade in 2024. But uh, without those four senators, we'd be, you know, we'd be in a fairly sizable minority in the Senate. The, the um, you mentioned North Carolina and Wisconsin, and there are African-American um, 
vote engagement activists, ground troops who say that if there had been even a little more investment in both those states, Sherry and Mandela would have won. Because literally, it would be 50,000 more votes had turned out in Milwaukee, Mandela would have won. So folks, it, it, it it's really speaks volumes, the role that voting rights organizations, voter mobilization organizations that are nonpartisan, by the way, the role they play in getting out this vote um, and getting people to vote. And what you do is, and, and I did it, I was with, with Black Voters Matter. We didn't tell people who to vote for. We just went around and said, people, you must get out and vote. You must exercise your right to, right to vote. And one of the arguments I use um, that, you know, I encourage others to use, Marcos, is that when you, because a gentleman, I, I, there's a couple of anecdotes. One guy in a pickup truck, we're at an intersection in Clay County, Henry County, I'm sorry. Guy in a pickup truck pulls up and we're waving the signs, go out and vote. Said vote. He says, uh, I'm not going to vote for Warnock. He's a hypocrite. So I'm out there. I'm supposed to be nonpartisan. So of course he baited me <laughs> and I took the money. You, you know, how long have you done or so I just wasn't, you know. I, I'm, I'm not surprised in the least. There's no shock in my face right now. I'm like, so what do you mean? Why do you say he's a hypocrite? Because um, he supports abortion. So I said, but Herschel's paid for women to have abortion. Now, by this time, the other staff of Black Voters Matter is coming to get me because I've crossed somewhat of a line and they don't want me and this guy to get into an altercation. So, um, but then he says, that's different. That was 40 years ago. And, and then I, I shut it down after that. But just the logic of that. On the other hand, an African-American gentleman um, says to me, there's no point in voting because they don't do anything. They're all the same. And I, I took that opportunity to say to him, he said, you know, we just ask you to vote, but understand everybody. Everybody really all understand this, white or black. When you don't vote, you are still voting. When you don't vote, you are actually assisting whoever you would not have normally voted for. You're helping them get elected. Now, if that's not what you want, then you should vote. You know, you, 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 it's, it's no such thing as sitting on the sidelines. Uh, Malcolm Kenyatta, who ran for Senate in Pennsylvania, he didn't win the primary. John Fetterman did, of course. But Malcolm says something, says something very profound. He said it here on the show and he's been repeating it ever since. For P, he says, for those of you who don't do politics, know that politics does you. <laughs> All right. So what Markham is saying, folks, Georgia deserves a break. But stuff coming up in April. Matter of fact, there's a runoff. I don't even know all the details. There's a runoff in Louisiana, I think, coming up next week. It's another state that still has this silly runoff system. If we begin to treat it like second nature, just do it. Some things we just do. Some of us don't want to get them to go to work, but we go because we got to go to work. And this isn't as much as work. If this, if we could just do it, how much power we would have? Because numerically, putting the partisan hat back on, there's more of us than there are of them. Yep. And if more of us turn out, that's why it's important. When you don't vote, you're actually helping a Herschel Walker uh, or, or, or someone else. Um, and, and Herschel was, was a shameful embarrassment. I even had to say some of my white friends, they come, oh, we feel so bad. And he's, cause he, you know, he said he doesn't mind being called a coon. So I gave them permission. I'm giving all white people permission. 
I'm a black man. Y'all know how black I am. You don't have to be uh, uh, polite or circumspect. When you hear somebody, an African-American, say, I like being called a coon, you have my permission to decry that, speak out against that. You all know what a coon is. I'd say, come my wife, Mark, I said, well, you know what a coon is. You know, there's nothing appropriate about that. Those of you, we have mixed race families now, people adopting black children. If you're a white parent having black children, you can't let your child, you can't raise your child in an environment where you just overlook an, a grown adult African-American who actually was a sports icon. Okay, he's not, not a nobody saying, I don't mind being called a coon. All right, so you have my permission. Next time you hear something like that, say, uh-uh, that's inappropriate, it's unacceptable, and, sure. and talk, talk about it. Say it to others. Don't be silent about it. That is, there's nothing. I mean, so that was, and I think that that probably was one of the things I like to think to help seal the deal. Because um, we just couldn't have it, Marcos. You can't have somebody in the Senate <clears throat> going well in the Senate saying, I'm a coon. I mean, he wasn't functional. And that any, anybody would look at that situation and go, that's, that's who we want representing us in the Senate is, is, is deeply, deeply embarrassing. And so I now, you know, Mitch McConnell, you know, talking about how we needed better candidates. Oh, of course now, but he, he didn't, he didn't stand in the way of, of Herschel Walker. He, he, once Trump said he wanted Herschel Walker, McConnell's like, all right, we got Herschel Walker. And so they all fell in line behind him behind them they don't get to come in now and say well that was not a, that was not a right choice and and it was it was it's embarrassing there there are certain candidates that are just like sleaze like dr oz he's just a sleaze right he's he's but nobody says he lacks the mental faculties to be in the senate he just his priorities would be the wrong priorities and he was just a disgusting cynical corrupt human being okay that's great we all talked about Herschel Walker. He's not well. And to put somebody like that. So every all the projection that re Republicans and conservatives do about Joe Biden. Oh, Joe Biden, he's senile, Joe Biden. That's exactly what they were supporting with Herschel Walker without any irony, without any, even self-awareness that they were projecting. Because <laughs> Joe Biden can get up on stage and he can give a coherent speech. Herschel Walker would talk about werewolves and vampires and ran like it was Saturday Night Live could not have made a better satire of Herschel Walker than he himself and how he performed on stage. Uh, art, life imitating art. Last thing on that point, someone called me the other day because we know Herschel does have a, a history of of mental illness and multiple personality disorder and probably CTE, though no question about that. But somebody calls him, you know, Mark, you all need to stop saying he's mentally ill. I said, well, why do you say that? Because uh, most mentally ill people don't want to be called a coon either. You go to the institution, everybody in this mental institution, everybody wants to be a coon, raise your hand. No, no. That's, that's not doing well. The lowest bar ever. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's like, I don't know what you saw Kanye on Alex Jones. Have you ever seen Alex Jones get somebody off his show as quickly? Kanye went on Alex Jones last week and talked about how much he loves Hitler and what a great man Hitler was. And Alex Jones was like, I know I'm crazy as Alex Jones, but you're really crazy. Uh, <laughs> I think Alex Jones was like, I'm, let's go to commercial break. Uh, but, but yeah, we, this is the deep end.
off of which we have gone and we can't we can't have that. We can't tolerate that. So congratulations to Georgia. Uh, congratulations to Georgians for standing up. It appears that we even some white voters, a handful, maybe even who um, 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 voted were with Kemp in the November election. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vote came back to vote and voted for Raphael Warnock, yeah. uh, who realized they couldn't. And, and again, I don't see why not, because remember, um, the people said, in the January 6th hearing, when Trump called and said, find me votes, find me these votes, they had to tell him well, there were 30,000 Republican Georgians who were registered Republicans who didn't vote for you, Mr. President. So it, it, it shouldn't be a stretch that if there were 30,000 people who would not vote for Donald Trump, that there would at least be as many who would say, I can't go with Herschel Walker either because he's yeah. off the deep end. So uh, the, the other point I would make is... Um, the five times that takes a lot of discipline. It's unusual. It's extraordinary. People don't want to do it, but the significance of doing that on December sixth, uh, almost uh, to the day, Montgomery bus boycott started on December fifth, nineteen fifty-five. That was the last time in this country we saw a group of people in mass do something in a disciplined fashion. We talk about voting five times over two years. Think about this, folks, for three hundred seventy days. People in Montgomery would not ride the bus and walk to work every day for over a year. Who can do that today? Who, who amongst us, any of us, has the discipline? And if they had not done that, we have no idea where we'd be right now. But they, the people walk to work every day. They started, that's where carpooling came from. They, people had cars, they started carpooling for a whole year, not two weeks. Most of us can't sustain anything more than two weeks. But for a over a year. So, folks, congratulate yourselves. Uh, th- this was a, a meaningful victory. And so now so now what does uh, talk to us, Marcos, about what this means in terms of, of mansion and cinema right now uh, that helps us and prevents. Um, I mean, it can check one of them. Uh, it can balance out one of them if one of them goes in some type of crazy direction. But I think you even said last week that. Uh, you don't necessarily yourself. You don't necessarily expect too much um, off the rails yeah. behavior from Manchin. Well, that, that's maybe I don't know what up. Here's here's what I expect. It's is that well, one first of all, fifty one seats means no more power sharing agreement and committees, which means we have subpoena power again. So this, you know, we lost it in the House. There's even talk that maybe the January 6th commission, uh, committee can actually reconstitute on the Senate side. So it gives us something that, uh, that we had seemingly lost. As far as Kristen, you know, cinema and Joe Manchin, there's, there's two things. One, cinema now faces a credible primary challenge. I mean, Ruben Gallego hasn't announced yet, but he's made all the right noises. How much is she going to realize that she is in real danger? And needs to start tacking back to a more partisan left in order to survive a you know that primary challenge. So that's going to start brewing. Um, I think she's under this delusion that Republicans will bail her out, and it's not going to happen. So at some point, she's going to realize this. That'll be interesting. But on the other side of it is Joe Manchin's up for re-election in a state that that the Republican is going to carry by forty points. So he's going to have to differentiate himself. He's going to have to vote against the Democrats. 
by having that extra seat, they can actually engineer those votes, right? You know, if, if Kirsten Cinema is for something great, then Manchin can make a big deal about voting against it and how independent he is. And it gives them an outlet. So that's, that's possible. But in the end, there's not going to be a lot of substantive legislation going through the Senate anymore. We're going to see judges. We're going to see things like, like basic continuing funding resolutions of the government. The House isn't going to pass any, any real legislation. So there's really not much for the Senate to do except for, for, for um, approving nominees and, and judges. So it takes some pressure off of Manchin ahead of his reelection. Maybe gives uh, Cinema less room, uh, less room to make mayhem, considering she is up for re-election, and uh, a lot of the focus is going to be in the House. Which, as of now, the House is is a bit of a crap show. I mean, we don't even know, we don't know if uh, Kevin McCarthy is going to be Speaker every day. I mean, I still think he's the odds-on favorite, but every day he looks less and less likely. Now we had. Uh, Scalise, who is a number three in the House leadership, basically they asked him about McCarthy and instead of saying, I support him 100%, he'll be the speaker. He's like, oh no, you know, things may happen. Things, which was not really the answer people are expecting. So of course, now the speculation that he's setting himself up to be the quote, compromise choice uh, if and when McCarthy falls. There's still, you have 23 Republicans in the House that represent Biden districts and whose reelection in two years is, is in a presidential year. In a presidential year, their reelection is very, very suspect. I feel really good about our chances of retaking the, the House in two years, much more than the Senate, which is a brutally difficult map for us in the Senate. But the House is looking pretty good to recapture that. And, um, so it's it's there's there's a lot of room for sort of mayhem, a lot of room to paint Republicans as the extremists, a lot of room for Republicans to paint the, paint themselves as extremists. Because while there's some Republicans like Senator Cynthia Loomis who have said Republicans need to come up with a positive and uh, what's the word she lives a positive and it was like a po optimistic message, positive optimistic message. They're, they're concerned about Hunter Biden dick pictures. I mean, the Hunter Biden laptop. And that was their first press conference after the election. It wasn't about inflation. It wasn't about gas prices. It was about Hunter Biden's laptop. So we have, uh, we have what's going to be a pretty interesting two years. We have the chamber we need for judges. That's the important one. Much else is going to pass. And at that point, it's really just posturing heading into 2022. And it's going to be about retaking the House. And it's going to be about protecting our very, very endangered senators in Montana, in Ohio, in Wisconsin. And yes, even in West Virginia, even at Joe Manchin. He frustrates the heck out of us, but we don't want him to lose. The Hunter Biden obsession. Now, do they not? What do they not get about their approach that has not worked? I mean, that, that stuff has not really worked for them the past couple of years. And it didn't create the red wave, they said. Well, I don't get, what do they think it, it, it's going to do? Do they think people are going to just, the election is going to say, oh, we're going to be into this. And you, I, I don't really understand. Um, so it, it's, I mean... I think it's a recreation of the Hillary, but her emails, the Hillary emails. And, and it 
gave them enough of a boost that they were able to win the presidency in 2016. And and so they're under so Trump is under the illusion that had only Twitter not suppressed Hunter Biden's laptop. And we're we're talking about penis pictures. That that's literally what we're talking about. That the Biden campaign asked Twitter to pull dick pics from that were not consensual dick pictures from from Twitter. And, and but I don't think if you if you were to ask somebody, Mark, you know this, you ask somebody what was in Hillary's emails that was so dastardly and damning, they they can't tell you, right? Because there's nothing in there. There's liter literally nothing in the emails. And the same thing, you ask them what's in Hunter Biden, they'll say like, oh well, well, uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were getting, you know, kickbacks. Well, if that was true, then let the Justice Department, you know, take a look and and indict because no, 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 there's no Democrat that will sit that'll protect Hunter Biden from prosecution if he actually did break the law. We're not, we're not, we're not Republicans. You know, we're not gonna go to Matt for Hunter Biden of all people. But um, but there's there's by all indications, there's there's nothing there. It was a campaign asking to pull dick pics from from Twitter. And so it's just about creating the appearance that there was something illegal and, and dastardly. And, and, you know, they, they could almost get away with it before. You know, if you look back to their candidates, you know, George Bush was he was kind of an idiot. You know, Dick Cheney was the brains and Dick Cheney was a neocon. Like nobody said they were corrupt in the in the that kind of sense, right? Then you had John McCain, which was squeaky clean. Then you had Mitt Romney, who was, who was, you know, he's a, he's a vulture capitalist. But he was, again, he wasn't, he wasn't, a, nobody said he broke the law in anything, right? So you had candidates that, generally speaking, were not lawbreakers. Then, he, you know, they elect Donald Trump, who is the most corrupt human being in this entire country right now. And, um, so this whole idea that somebody's children are corrupt, I mean, it doesn't land anymore. Just like, can you believe this? Kevin McCarthy was supposed to be speaker in 2015, 2016, when, when John Boehner got kicked out. Do you remember why he did not get the job? Because he had an extramarital affair. Right. Do you think right. anybody would give two, like a rat's ass today about, an extra, I mean, clearly McCarthy's still around. Nobody cares anymore. But Donald Trump changed that. that he moved the goalposts and, or that bar so, you know, somewhere so far away from where it used to be that, you know, having affairs doesn't really matter. Uh, having children that are nepotistic. You know, yeah, no, that's, that ship sailed. Nobody, nobody cares, clearly. And we're not going to, nobody's going to pretend. So... You can't sit there and talk about Hunter Biden's laptop and oh, there's some nepotism, this or that. And okay, great. If if there is if there's any law breaking good, let let the Justice Department take a look. What's I got to do with Joe Biden? Absolutely nothing. We know that Hunter Biden is the black sheep of the family. Whatever you know, a lot of families have them. It is what it is. And so, but they think they they think creating this innuendos and stuff, but it's not getting traction because really nobody cares anymore. That ship has sailed. The Supreme Court took away row rights. That's what people care about now. They care about voting access. They care about that. They care about getting their student loans forgiven. So this idea that Hunter Biden's laptop is relevant to anything outside of the small group of Jim Jordan and Andrew, Andy Biggs and, and Louis Gomer, like, 
Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, like nobody else cares, but they run the Republican Party. That group runs the Republican Party. And right now, McCarthy cannot become speaker without them. And a big chunk of the Freedom Caucus is in open rebellion and is saying that they will never vote for McCarthy. So he's trying to kiss her butt. And what do they want? They want endless investigations about stuff that nobody cares about. And it doesn't matter how many prominent Republicans, even Laura Ingram on Tuesday night was on a rampage about early voting and, and Sean Hannity. None of them said who has been railing against early voting, right? Nobody can say the Donald Trump word. It's like Beetlejuice or something like, you know, he'll, demon will show up if they use his word, right? But um, a lot of these Republicans are realizing that going after trans kids, really not a winner. Going after Hunter Biden's laptop, nobody cared. Like, these are not issues anybody cares about. And Republicans got beat on policy, on actual things that, that matter, not, not their manufactured outrages. So their attempts to Honduran caravans and Salvadoran gang members. And I mean, the only place that worked was in New York, Mark. And that's because of your city's mayor, I think. He, he, he gave it life. But outside of New York, like none of the, none of the typical fear-mongering worked. And it's kind of shocking that it did not. And there are Republicans that now realize that they maybe need to pay attention to that policy. Maybe that stuff matters. And the Freedom Caucus won't let them. And Trump won't let them. Now, on the vote for Speaker, I heard some pretty far-fetched speculation. Democrats who didn't, I mean, sorry, Republicans, Republican representatives in the House who did uh, win some Biden districts that someone either speculated or suggested um, that they and some of the Democrats get together and help to defeat Kevin McCarthy. Um, for that purpose, those Republicans who have to at least appear to be somewhat moderate. Now, it's also my understanding that anybody can be elected speaker. It, it doesn't have to be it, in from the majority party. So what, what do you, what do you think about that? What, what could actually happen? So it doesn't even have to be a house member. It's never happened, but right. Donald Trump could be speaker of the house if they elected Donald Trump. Right. So. No, they they floated that a while back. And, oh, it is? Uh, I know that. Yeah. Lord. Yeah. And uh, it died. And I was kind of hoping it wouldn't die because that was good for <laughs> our campaigns. <laughs> the, um, there's a couple of, fa you know, options. The, the most likely option is Phil McCarthy gets it. He figures out because it's, he doesn't need to get their yes votes, the Freedom Caucus, if they just vote present that they don't get counted as part of that majority number. So you don't need a, a majority of, four, of uh, 435, um, not 435, um, what is it, 220, 335 seats. You don't need a majority of that anymore. You need a majority of people who voted. So that's how Nancy Pelosi got through a lot of times when it was really tight. Just a bunch of conservative Democrats would vote present. And problem solved. They, they don't, they could go back to the districts and say, I never voted for Nancy Pelosi. Right. I got you. I got you. But they, really, they kind of did. So that's, that's to me is the <laughs> most likely option. But there's a couple, there's a couple alternatives. One is obviously that the, that the Freedom Caucus, uh, rebels, because McCarthy can only lose five. He can only lose five votes. The Republican lead in this, in the House is nine. So he can only lose five. 
the uh, one option is that there's a compromise candidate. It's what happened with Paul Ryan. That's how he got in because McCarthy was supposed to be the speaker. There, you know, he got they found out about his affair with another member, and so therefore um, Paul Ryan became the compromise candidate. So that's that's an option is that they and the Freedom Caucus says that they have a secret guest or a secret candidate in the wings. Um, yeah. No idea who it might be. No idea who it might be. No. Now there is a lot of speculation that that uh, Stefanik uh, is is she's been very very quiet, uncharacteristically quiet. You know, Congresswoman from New York, from upstate. She uh, she's number three or number four in the in the Republican leadership in the House, and she uh, she's been very she's not a shy person, and she's been very quiet. So there's a lot of speculation that she's been scheming. Um, Scalise, you know, with his non-endorsement of McCarthy. So it looks like there's a lot of moving parts right now on that front. And so there may be a new consensus candidate that can unite the uh, Freedom Caucus with the rest of the party. Now, there is the Alaska model. So Alaska Republicans have nominally had a majority in the Alaska legislature the last six years. But in the last, you know, six, three, two-year cycles, the last six years, Democrats have joined with moderate Republicans to elect a moderate Republican um, leader. So it's given them control. You know, they've been in a majority in committees and stuff. So it, it's sort of like the Alaska model. It's worked very well for Alaska. Actually, it's very functional. It sort of segregates the 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 Palin Trump Republicans from the ones who actually want to do stuff. And um, so there's a good chance you got you got 20 some Republicans that are in Biden districts that are endangered. You have a good eight, nine of them in California and New York that are in actually pretty tough Biden districts. And given presidential turnout in two years, uh, they don't stand a chance. So why wouldn't they maybe join with, you know, a moderate group of Republicans and Democrats to elect somebody like Don Bacon of Nebraska as speaker? Republicans would still control the chamber, but it wouldn't be McCarthy. It would be somebody who, who's basically more of a caretaker speaker who actually tries to pass spending bills and, and moderate the worst excesses of the Freedom Caucus. So that's an option. Another option is that um, some of those Republicans just switch parties. I mean, why not? They're in tough district. Now, I would say the chance of that happening is like, Two percent. I mean, this is not a high probability. But if I'm one of those Republicans, I'm looking at the map. I'm looking at and is is being in Congress for two years really? I mean, maybe that's enough for your resume, and they can see if they can ride that to K Street and become lobbyists or something. But if you actually want to have a career in in the House, oh, maybe it's time for them to think about how they can stick around longer. And the way they stick around longer is to is to become Democrats and. And yeah, they still have the primary and presumably they have Republican record that primary opponents would run against. So it makes it a little tougher. It's not an easy call, but it's there's always that possibility. So there's, there's a lot of things that can happen. It's, it's dramatic and you know kind of fun because it's mostly Republicans are in disarray while our side got their, you know, we got our stuff in order without any public battle, without any drama. I thought we were so, supposed to be in disarray. It's, I thought the narrative was Dems in disarray. 
Yeah, it's always been dumbs in disarray, but Nancy Pelosi has run a tight ship for the last few cycles, yeah. and her transition was the most uh, smooth, smooth drama-free. I mean, the, the biggest the biggest drama, I think, was just Clyburn not wanting to leave when all the other, when all the other um, you know, senior people in leadership stepped down. Clyburn stuck around, and... That was just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and and decided not to make it, you know, it's like let him let him keep his position, uh, which is a little unfortunate because you do want to see. I, 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 I'm really, I think this trans generational shift is important, particularly since we are a party of younger Americans. We need to look like our, like, um, our base. But, um, Still, I mean, not a lot to complain about. It's all good. Dailyghost.com, with a Folks, subscribe to the podcast, The Brief, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, Marcos. Yep, appreciate it. And uh, everybody, um, like I said earlier, I, I think it's a good time to really celebrate, be happy for what we accomplished. Relax a little because we're gonna we're gonna be asking people to get back on the grind for our democracy next year, particularly Wisconsin special election in Wisconsin, not special election, regular election for Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin is gonna be absolutely critical. So uh, we're gonna be busy. We're gonna be busy. So, but now's the time to relax and celebrate. And Mark, we're gonna talk one more time before the holidays, right? That's right. That's right. But as Mark said, December six, folks, Christmas came early. So celebrate that. Marco's not talking next week and then we'll take a little break. And, but again, have a celebration folks. Enjoy the victory from Tuesday night in Georgia. Thanks again, Marcos. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for getting woke and listening to make it plain as always perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder, or young person, write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.